All right, friends, we are in one of the biggest chapters I've ever tried to do commentary on. In 1 Kings 7, uh, it's like 50 verses, and so I'm sorry if this is a bit longer. And it's a lot of the building verses, which again, they don't typically, you know, turn up the gas on my barbecue to high. Uh, but I want to be faithful. I said I'm doing a verse-by-verse -verse commentary. I'm going to try to here. Now, the big picture dealio here is that we're going to see Solomon build his own house, and we're going to also see Solomon uh, equip the temple with furnishings through Hiram of Tyre. And so there's a couple things going on here, big picture. Um, I think there's an echo of creation and also of the building of the tabernacle, where first you get the framework of the temple build, built, and then you get the furnishings or the fillings of the temple built afterwards. So I think there's a bit of an echo of the creation story. First three days, God makes creation as far as a structure, and the second three days, he fills it full of uh, birds and fish and people. So there's a form and then a filling, and I think we get that same kind of progression here. First there's the form of the temple, then there's the filling of the temple. But also in the middle of it, uh, before between the form of the temple and the filling of the temple you you have Solomon taking time to finish his house and the scandal of it is that Solomon took seven years to build the house of the Lord but it's going to take 13 years to build his own house and this chapter is really where the ascension of Solomon turns into a decline where his heart of exalting himself in the midst of the blessings of the Lord above the Lord is seen in how he builds a better house for himself than for the Lord or spends longer time building it. And so this is where his, this warning that Moses gave, you know, you're going to get in the land, you're going to get blessed, you're going to think, I made all this for myself, and you're going to forget the Lord. And Solomon, this is a sign that his heart has turned. And uh, later, we're going to see his heart being really turned by all these wives he's had, and not just the wives, but the fact that they worship idols, and he follows them into their idol worship. Uh, but let's get into the chapter. Starting in verse 1, Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. So, you know, the last verse was this. Uh, the last verse of chapter 6 ended with, he was seven years in building it. That's the temple of God. And the next verse says, Solomon was building his own house for 13 years, which is almost twice as long as he spent building the temple. That is meant to just with smack us over the head without smacking us over the head. It's not explicit. It's implied. You're supposed to compare. And so you're supposed to be careful readers noticing here. It's like, wow, Solomon spent that much longer on his own stuff than on the Lord. Who's he privileging here? And then it's going to go on. And he built the house of the forest of Lebanon, and the length of it was 100 cubits, and the breadth 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars, and the cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on 45 pillars, 15 in each row. And there were window frames of three in three rows and windows opposite windows and tiers and all the doorways and windows were square frames and windows of opposite windows and three tiers so i get a little bit lost on that but let's just go back and see if we know okay so the lord's house was 60 cubits 20 cubits and 20 cubits and this one is 100 cubits 60 cubits 30 cubits so he's built himself a bigger house and this is what we're supposed to hear oh no solomon what are you doing and he made the hall of the pillars and its length with 50 cubits by 30 cubits and the porch in front of the pillars sorry with pillars and a canopy in front of them i'm sorry for my poor reading here 
And he made the hall of the throne, where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. And it was finished with cedar from floor to rafter. So it sounds like he's building his own house after the model of the temple that had like the outer court, then the inner um, temple, and then the Holy of Holies. It sounds like he's built his own, you know, forest of Lebanon, then the hall of the cedars, and then the hall of the throne of judgment. And it sounds like he's even built his own uh, house in the image of the temple, but it's bigger. Verse 8, his own house where he was to dwell in the other court back of the hall was of like workmanship. So he's got his like palace and then he's got like his place where he sleeps. And Solomon also made a house like this hall for the Pharaoh's daughter whom he had taken in marriage. Okay, so I'm thinking, you know, it's not just about the construction, um, the fact that Solomon's building all this great stuff for himself and then it's linked to Pharaoh's daughter that he'd married, you know, uh, chapters ago that's meant to make us go like okay so what's going on here why is Solomon seeming so self-centered here oh his Pharaoh's daughter's right here oh he's he's acting like a king of the nations he's not acting like a humble king under Yahweh he's acting like a king over the nations like he's acting like Pharaoh himself perhaps or even maybe Pharaoh's daughter and her idolatry is his heart's already being won towards these idols and this is he's just losing his faith or at least his faith, faithfulness. Verse 9, all these were made of costly stone, cut according to measure, sawed with sods, back and front, even from the foundation to the coping, and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits, and above were costly stones, cut according to measurement and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around, and a course of cedar beams, so the inner court of the house of the Lord so so the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house so had these things. Verse 13, and King Solomon sent, okay, so there's the end of him building his own stuff. And also notice how it compares the, the buildings of Solomon to the house of the Lord at the end of talking about Solomon's building. So we're, we're being led again to do this comparison. Solomon's built all this stuff. And at the end of the report on Solomon's personal buildings. It ends with this comparison to the house of the Lord. And so we're meant to go back to the previous chapter and compare to the house of the Lord and just say like, Solomon built bigger for himself. This probably is not a good thing. And there's Pharaoh's daughter in the midst of all of this. That's probably not a good thing. And will be proved right for all of our suspicions. Verse 13, we're moving into the furnishings of the temple. And King Solomon sent and brought Hiram of Tyre, and he was the son of a widow of the tribe of Natali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was full of wisdom and understanding and skill for making any work in bronze. And he came to King Solomon and did all his work. So we've got this transition here to the stuff that Hiram did. And it's a little bit confusing because the king of Tyre is also named Hiram or Hiram. And so this is a different Hiram. Uh, this is a half uh Israelite um, and often people will say that in Israel the genealogies could go through the mother as well so the fact that he's his mother um, is from the tribe of Nep Neftali he would still be considered part of the people of God but he's from another country and he's a worker in broads and now you could get suspicion suspicious in this but the fact that it talks about how he's full of wisdom and understanding and skill I think is meant to make us go back and remember in 
Exodus, um, is it Bazalel and Aholiab, I think, maybe it's just Bazalel, um, is also described as having the Spirit of God in him with wisdom to craft all this stuff. And so this is meant to echo Exodus, which I think also is meant to echo the wisdom of God being displayed in creation. So um, we we're, I think we're meant to read this and think, yeah, God's with this guy because it reminds us of what God was working through people when he was building the tabernacle. Uh, but he's brought from Tyre, which also reminds us that Solomon has this working uh, relationship with Tyre right now to get all their supplies for the building of the temple. 15. He cast two pillars of stone. 18 cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of 12 cubits measured its circumference. It was hollow, and its thickness was four fingers. So it's like a tube. It's a big toilet paper roll. The second pillar was the same. He also made two capitals of cast bronze, two set on tops of the pillars. The height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work for the capitals at the top of the pillars, a lattice on one capital and a lattice on the other capital. Likewise, he made pomegranates of the two rows around the one lattice work to cover the capital that was on the top of the pillar, and he did the same with the other capital. So I'm really loving you guys right now reading all this stuff. I'm really going for it, and I'm trying to get every word online here. Now, the capitals that were on the top of the pillars in the vestibule were of lily work, four cubits. The capitals were were on the two pillars and also above the rounded projection that was beside the lattice work. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows all around, so that so with the other capital. And he set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple, and he set up the pillar on the south, and he called its name Jachin, and he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz, and on the tops of the pillars were lily work. Thus the work of the pillars were finished. Okay, so the... Um, temple is being adorned here and like I said I think this corresponds with the Genesis 1 creation of form with fullness we're beginning to see the, these two major pillars that are set up in front of the temple that are going to greet all the worshipers and the priests as they come to the temple they're even named I don't remember what Jachin means um, or Jachin but I do know Boaz means in him is strength and so these pillars are named most likely both of them but at least one of them as worship to the Lord 23. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, 10 cubits from brim to brim, 5 cubits high, and a line was 30 cubits measured in its circumference. Under its brim were gourds for 10 cubits, compassing, uh, compassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood in twel on 12 oxen, 3 facing north, 3 facing west, 3 facing south, and 3 facing east, and the sea was set on them, and all the rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a handbreadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It held 2,000 baths. So here is this big bowl um, that they fill with water. They need lots of water for washing things. So washing things like the hands of the priests or the stuff that they were butchering was a part of the worship. And so they make this big bowl of water, which they call the sea. And it stands on top of oxen's they're looking outwards so that their private parts aren't seen. And so here is this gigantic uh, water container that is going to be used in the worship. But I'm, I'm guessing as well, you know, um, the temple kind of stands for heaven on earth. And if you remember, part of the creation story was heaven coming down to earth and restricting the sea, as well as when we go to heaven in the book of Revelations, God's throne is standing over the sea, a, a sea of glass. And so there may also be some symbolism 
of calling this thing to sea, like God rules over the sea. The sea is often a picture of chaos and in in habitable land, places where people, God's image bearers, can't dwell. And so by ruling over the sea, God is taking chaos and ruling over it and making it a place where his orderly creation can go. Verse 27, he also made the ten bronze stands of bronze. Each stand was four cubits long, four cubits wide, three cubits high. This was the construction of the stands. They had panels, and the panels were sent frames and on the panels that were set in the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the frames, both above and below, the lions and the oxen were wreaths of beveled work. So the lions are like the king of the predators. The oxen are the king of the, the strongest of the beasts, like the tameable beasts. And the cherubim are probably like the chief angels. So you have like the highest of the orders of creation here, whether it's predators, um, animals that can come under human husbandry and rule, or the... Uh, heavenly uh, creatures. 30. Moreover, each stand had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and at the four corners were supports for a basin. The supports were cast with wreaths at the side of each. Its openings was within a crown that was projected upwards one cubit. Its opening was round, as the pedestal is made, a cubit and a half deep. And its openings there were carvings, and its panels were square, not round. And the four wheels were underneath the panels. The axles of the wheels were of one piece with the stands, and the wheel, the height of the wheels was a cubit and a half. And the wheels were made like a chariot's wheel. Their axles and rims and spokes and their hubs were all this cast. So these things are meant to be portable, but they're too big for people to carry. There were four supports at the four corners of each stand. The supports were one piece with the stands, and on the top of the stands there was a round band half a cubit high, and on the top of the stand it stays, and its panels were of one piece with it, and on the surfaces of its stays and on its panels were carved cherubim, blind, and palm trees, according to the space of each, with wreaths all around. So when you see palm trees, again, I think this is meant to remind us of the Garden of Eden or God's creation. Um, it's not a desolate wasteland. It's a habitable land. So maybe, I don't know if the palm trees are like the chief of the trees, the same way that lions are the chief of the predators, but it is a big plant. After this manner, he made the ten stands. All of them were cast alike in the same measure, the same form. 38, and he made ten basins of bronze, and each basin could hold 40 baths, and each basin measured four cubits, and there was a basin for each of the ten stands, and he set the stand five on the si south side of the house, five on the north side of the house, and he set the sea at the southeast corner of the house. Okay, so we've kind of are wrapping up the larger stuff that Hiram made. They like to take their time here. It doesn't take quite as long as in the book of Exodus, all the chapters and chapters describing God's plans for the tabernacle, followed by the actual execution of the building of these plans. But again, if they're slowing down, they're taking their time. It's an act of worship to remember all the things that people made by God's grace for the worship of God. And this is just them... Um, telling the story. This is a way of enjoying the success of God amongst the people. God had promised them this this place to worship a long time ago, and as God is fulfilling this promise through Solomon, they like to take their time in explaining what God did through human agency as a way of worshiping and remembering the grace of God in their lives. Verse 40, we're almost done. Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, and the basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he did for Solomon on the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two 
bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the two lattice works to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works, the two rows of pomegranates for each of the lattice works, the cover of the bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, the 10 stands, the 10 basins of the stands on the stands, and the one sea and the twelve oxen underneath the sea. Now the pots and the shovels and the basins and all the vessels in the house of the Lord, which Hiram made for Solomon, were burnished bronze. And in the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarethan. And Solomon left all the weight vessels unweighed because there were so many of them and the weight of the bronze was not ascertained. So this is, again, a sign of largesse, a sign of generosity, how much God is working, how much he's blessed them. They don't even need to count how much metal they're using because they're just going for it. And, you know, they're sparing no expense, so to speak. And God's provided for them to be able to do all that was on their heart for his worship. Verse 48, so Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of the presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north side, before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, the tongs of gold, the cups, the snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, the fire pans of pure gold, the sockets of gold, for the door of the innermost part of the house and the holy place, for, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. Thus, and so this brings us back by mentioning the holy place. This brings us back like from the outer court where there's all those bronze things and we're moving into the temple where you can see all the gold work and then the most holy place is mentioned. So even in the description of what all happened here, there's this progression towards the inner sanctuary of God. Verse 51, thus all the work that Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Boom. So in these couple of chapters, we have the completion of the temple. First it's building, then it's furnishing and infilling with the uncomfortable work of Solomon building himself a bigger castle that happens right in the middle so it's a good event covered by God's grace and right in the middle is a bit of a poisoning of human sin and that sin is going to grow and it's going to really wreck uh, Israel but again the book of Kings is a story of God's persevering faithfulness in the midst of human unfaithfulness I mean this is the story of the Bible altogether is that people fail and God, in the midst of justice, proves faithful. And we're seeing this here. This is a bit of a setup. The te temple is built because, in one sense, the book of Kings it should almost be called the book of the temple because it ends with the destruction of the temple. It starts with the king who made the temple and ends with the destruction of the temple. But the book is trying to say, hey, the construction of the temple is God's faithfulness. And yet... Uh, in the midst of that, people were unfaithful and everything kind of went wrong with Israel, not because God doesn't keep his word, but because his worshipers don't keep theirs and God's being faithful in the midst of their unrighteousness. So, hey, be blessed. We managed to get this done in under 20 minutes. We're walking with God and learning the history of his people, which is our family history as well. If you're a believer in God, you've joined the family of God through Christ, and this is our family history as well. God has helped us build great things. And yet in the midst of that, our, our broken hearts, our sinful hearts can wreck things that God builds and that's why we need a savior who doesn't just build a temple of stone but builds a temple of the Holy Spirit through redeemed lives and transforms our hearts from the inside out so that 
his kingdom can progress and extend throughout the world, which is his plan. And all God's people said, Amen.